Amen. You may be seated. This is our final week in this cycle looking at the Old Testament book of Exodus. We've been in it four or five months going from Exodus chapter 24 to 34. And then next fall we'll look at the last six uh, chapters of, uh, of Exodus, and uh, so this is the last little section we'll be looking at before, uh, after Christmas, we'll be turning to the Gospel of John. And um, in this passage, actually, I paired this section from uh, Exodus 34 with a New Testament passage. We're going to have a New Testament reading as well from 2 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul talks about this passage from uh, Exodus 34. And, you know, this will kind of illustrate for us a, a principle in reading the Bible. You know, some of you might say, how do you know what the right interpretation of the Bible is? And uh, the general principle is that the Bible interprets itself. And so if one place isn't clear, there are other places that are clear that explain that place. And so this is one of those examples where the Apostle Paul helps us understand uh, the book of Exodus. So as we go along, I'm going to be kind of bouncing back and forth from Exodus and uh, 2 Corinthians 3. And, uh, but rich text, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything in these passages, but um, I pray uh, the Lord has uh, some insight for all of us uh, this morning. So all right, we'll start in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord, uh, what the Lord commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses uh, went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And then skipping to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has become, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what, we, what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because 
Only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we're going to skip down to chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we uh, pray for your blessing as we, as we give our minds to study your word and we pray that you would lead us to our Savior, that we would behold his face and that your Holy Spirit would come and be our, our teacher, the spirit that we read about in, in these verses, that he would be present here applying these words into each one of our individual lives. And so uh, we are hungry for your truth for your light uh, to, to shine into our hearts. And we ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we are in our uh, last Sunday looking at, at the book of Exodus. And uh, this passage is pretty interesting. It talks about Moses, how after he would meet with God, his skin would be shining. And uh, you might think that's kind of strange sounding. I think that's strange. Maybe you haven't met a person whose skin is shining. Uh, but I think that this passage in some ways shows us what being human is all about. What does it mean to be human? Well, uh, that question is an important question. It's an important question in our culture right now. It's one of the most fundamental questions that individuals can ask, that a culture can ask, is what is a human? You know, you take, for example, our questions thinking, asking all kinds of questions about, about sexuality and about gender. And what you think a human is is going to deeply shape how you answer those questions, right? So if you think a human is just another animal, merely an animal who's trying to satisfy their instinctual cravings, well, that's going to give you one view of what sexuality is about. If you think being human is about self-actualization, it's about getting in touch with who you are. It's about following your heart no matter where it leads you. Well, that's going to give you a vision for sexuality. Or if you think that a human being is made in the image of God, that's a whole different picture of what it means to be human. That's going to deeply shape not only what you think about sexuality, it will shape what you think about what is the meaning of my work? What is the meaning of my relationships? What is the meaning of my hobbies? What do I do with my money? What do I think about the arts? What do we think about politics? What do we think about human rights? Everything about culture, culture pours out of this question, ultimately, what is a human? And, uh, and so today we're going to look at this strange passage about Moses' shining skin, and we're going to ask three simple questions about the Bible's understanding of what it means to be human. And this is what the three simple questions are. What is a human? What is our greatest problem? And how can we be healed? What is a human? What is our greatest problem? And how can we be healed? And you know that maybe the different characters in the story will help us answer those questions. You know, what is a human? We'll look at Moses to answer that. What's our greatest problem? 
We're going to look at the Israelites. They're going to show us what our greatest problem is. And then we say, how can, how can we be healed? We're going to look at the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ who will answer that question for us. So three questions on being human this morning. And the first is this. What is a human? Well, this passage begins by saying these words. You look at verse 29 there where it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And it says again the same thing down in verse 34. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, notice it's when Moses speaks with God, this transformation is happening. God speaks to him and he speaks back. It's a relationship. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, that the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And when Moses would speak with God, he would be in this relationship with him, his face would shine with the glory of God. Now, the reason I think this helps us answer the question of what is a human uh, is because N.T. Wright, N.T. Wright's one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world. And he's a kind of expert in the ancient world of the New Testament. And he summarizes the Bible's understanding of what a human is by saying that a human is like an angled mirror. You picture an angled mirror that beholds the glory of God kind of uh, vertically and then reflects the glory of God horizontally. That's what it means to be a human. So when someone looks into you, it's like they're looking into a mirror, but it's not themselves they're seeing. It's not you they're seeing. It's the God that you have a relationship with that they're seeing. They're beholding his glory. And so that's what it means when the Genesis 1 says that human beings were made in God's image, is that people are supposed to look at you and see what God is like. And if you say, well, I didn't see anything in Exodus about glory. That's why I put in... 2 Corinthians, because you see it says this in a number of places, 2 Corinthians, but if you look at verse 7, it says, now, the minist- now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. God's glory was reflected in the face of Moses. And so Paul uh, brings together these ideas of the image of God from Genesis chapter 1 and God's glory in, in verse 18. Listen to glory and image together. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now this uh, definition of what a human is uh, is incredibly charged with dignity and worth and value of every human being. Say every human being, what you're supposed to be, what you behold in them is something of the character of who God is. And you think about how much richer an understanding of what a human is that they are reflecting the, the, the very creator of heaven and earth compared to being human is about me satisfying my personal desires. You feel how small that is. And uh, we are angled mirrors meant for reflecting the glory and image of God. 
And, you know, if you connect this with the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1 says that God made humans after his own image. And then he says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the earth with these angled mirrors. And so God's idea was he made this creation, and then everywhere you'd go, you'd see these mirrors that were reflecting the beauty of God's character. And so he'd say the whole earth would be filled with his glory. That was his original mission. And it's important to know that the mission from Genesis 1 to fill the earth with God's glory, that mission hasn't changed. God has never changed mission from Genesis 1 until this day. Because, you, you know, Habakkuk 2 summarizes it this way. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This is strange. The waters cover the seas. How do waters cover seas? Well, the seas are filled with waters. So in the same way the ocean is filled with water, the whole creation is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That is where the story that we're a part of. That's what God is doing. That's his mission. That's his plan. And so what does it mean to be human? It means that you were made to reflect to the people around you the beauty and glory of the character of God. And by the way, I don't think that just means that you talk about God all the time. I mean, it does mean you talk about God, but even what it means, your mannerisms, your tone of voice, how you do your work, your little things that you like, the way you're kind of evil, every little bit of who we are is giving little hints of what God is like. That's what we were made for. That's what we were meant, meant to be like. Now, of course, when we hear that beautiful vision, wow, humans are supposed to display the beauty of God's character to one another, and we say, wow, we really, it doesn't seem to be what's happening in humanity. And um, I think that that uh, uh, leads to a, a second question. You know, what is wrong? Uh, Francis Schaeffer said that, that humanity is a glorious ruin. You know, it's a way of saying both the dignity that we're made in the image of God and yet something has gone wrong with us. Or the way the Apostle Paul puts it is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. You hear that glory of God. What does that mean? We fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of beholding his glory, knowing, having a relationship with God, and we fall short of reflecting his glory to the people around us. So this is our second question then. Okay, if that's what it means to be human, what is our greatest problem? What is wrong with humanity? I think everyone knows something's not right with humanity. What is it? Well, the answer to that, I need to explain a few more things about this passage. And the main thing is Moses' veil. You probably caught that there in, in verse 33 says, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And then again in verse 35, at the end of verse 35, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, to speak with God. So Moses, whenever he addressed the people, he'd have this shining face, and when he was done speaking to them, he would cover his face with a veil. Now, why is it that the Israelites, why don't they get to see Moses with the shiny face all the time? Why does he have to have the veil? Um, why couldn't they behold God's glory? Well, again, 2 Corinthians helps us with that. You see in verse 12 what it says in 2 Corinthians, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, what the Apostle Paul is comparing his ministry to Moses' ministry. He said, you know, Moses had to cover his face with a veil. We don't. We're just like displaying the face of Jesus. And so he, he, he says he's more bold than Moses. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, what does that mean? What was being brought to an end? 
Well, it means that for a short time, Moses would talk to them and the glory of God would be shining in his face and then it would end. He'd cover it. So it was brought to an end. Um, they only partially got to see the glory of God. And why did the Israelites only partially get to see the glory of God? Well, verse 14 in 2 Corinthians tells us, but their minds were hardened. And I think that's a key word. You know, if you read through the Exodus story, everywhere in the Exodus story, you know how the Israelites are described over and over again? Stiff-necked. They are stiff-necked, hard-minded, hard-hearted people. And so there's a parallel between this veiling of God's glory and the hardness of the Israelites' heart. The veil was a kind of judgment that God had put upon them, which basically says you cannot behold the glory of God with a hard heart. You cannot speak with God with a hard heart. You cannot have a relationship with God with a hard heart. And so you cannot fulfill what it means to be human with a hard heart. And so when we ask the question, the Bible answers the question, what's our greatest problem? The Bible's answer is the hardness of our minds and our hearts. Now to understand, you know, what is a hard heart, maybe a good question is, well, what's a soft heart? A soft heart is trusting. A soft heart listens, is open. A soft heart can receive love. A soft heart is vulnerable. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, has a famous quote about the hardening of the heart. And I probably quote this once a year, but it's that good. So this is this year's quote of it. This is what Lewis says. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. And Lewis says the opposite of love is a hard heart. And then he goes on to say that a hard heart is the only thing that can damn you. It's the essence of what hell is, is a hard heart. And so the Bible says humanity's greatest problem is the hardness of heart that makes us impenetrable. Not even impenetrable to other people, impenetrable to God. God's words, God's actions, God's grace, we shut him out. Now, by the way, I'll tell you, you know, one of the great tragedies of living in a fallen world like this is that, you know, each one of us is born with a hard heart, with a sinful heart, a distrust, you know, a heart that doesn't trust God. We don't take refuge in him. We don't want to listen to his words and follow the words that he says to us. And so we're self-protective. We're like, I'm going to take care of myself. And we're all born that way. And then we're born into a world that's filled with people like that who are self-protective and hard-hearted. And, and because they're being self-protective, they hurt us. And we hurt them in terrible ways. And when someone hurts you, what's the most natural thing to do? You harden yourself more. You make vows. 
And you say things to yourself like, I will never let anyone hurt me like that ever again. You often don't realize the power of that vow. You don't realize your loyalty to that vow. That when someone hurt you, said no one's going to have access to me like that ever again. Many of you sitting here, you may have vows that you made decades ago. You're not even aware that when you took that vow, it's been controlling your life. You brought it into your workplace and everyone you meet, you've been defending that vow. I said no one was going to get inside here. You, bring it, you may bring it into the church. You might bring it into your marriage. You might bring it into a family. And we have a subconscious commitment that says, don't trust anyone. And that's not just with people who shouldn't be trusted. There are people in the world that you shouldn't trust. But we extend it to people who should be trusted. And then what's even more sad is we extend it beyond people who should be trusted to even God. And we said, I will not trust you. And we tell ourselves, no one is looking out for me but me. And so instead of being soft and vulnerable and approachable and trusting, we become, as Lewis says, unbreakable. And this comes as a combination. We're born this way, and then we, we live in a world that makes us even more that way. And that's why the Bible says the most important thing about being human is faith. Faith is trust. Faith is a soft heart. And when we have this understanding of what it means to be human, we realize how amazing it is. You know, the Israelites, for centuries, are called stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And then there's this promise that comes through the prophet Ezekiel, where God says these precious words, I will remove the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to change that heart. I'm going to deal with your greatest problem. And so that leads to our final question. So we've said, what is a human? We are meant to be an angled mirror that reflects the beauty of God's character, his love, his generosity, his truth, his justice. Shine to the world the beauty of who he is, but we don't because our greatest problem is that we've fallen short of the glory of God because of the hardness of our hearts. So finally then, how can we be healed? How does the Lord take our hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh? Well, Paul answers that in 2 Corinthians, verse, 30, uh, verse uh, 14 there, he says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. The veil that the, the blocks us in a relationship with God is taken away in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And he says who the Lord is there. If you go to the end of verse 18, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how are we healed from the hardness of our hearts? Well, there's two answers in this passage. We turn to the Holy Spirit, and we turn to Jesus Christ. And I want to make a few comments about each of those, okay? So first, we are healed when we turn to the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the only way your heart is changed is by a work of God, a work of the Spirit in your inner life. And you might wonder, you know, what is that like when the Holy Spirit works in my life and changes my heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Well, a couple observations. First of all, the Holy Spirit works subconsciously. The Holy Spirit works subconsciously. And I, you know, I mentioned 
the hardness of our heart. You know, we bring these vows that we made that I'm not going to let anyone in. We bring it into our marriages. We bring it into our workplace. And, it, and it's operating on us subconsciously. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit also works on us subconsciously. And I, you know, I think it's interesting in Exodus verse 29, it says, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. He'd been with the Lord. He'd been talking to the Lord. He didn't realize the transformational effect that it was having on him. And uh, the Holy Spirit works on a subconscious level in our inner being. And you think, what hope that is. You know, we live in a, a therapeutic uh, culture that has put pretty big demands on us that we understand our whole childhood. And we're very all aware about the effect our parents had on us and our upbringing and experiences we had. And we're supposed to understand our anxieties and our emotions and everything that's happening. And that is a tremendous amount of work. And some of you have done some of that work and been discouraged by it. Now, first of all, I'll say that Christians have always done that kind of work throughout history. They've had an introspection about their lives and their inner life. And why do I think this way? Why do I react this way? But how much more encouraging is it to explore our family of origin and to think through our emotions, knowing that the Spirit of God is already at work in our subconscious life? He knows every experience of our childhood. He knows them better than we do. He knows the ones that we forgot. He knows which ones need to be faced at what time, and he will bring them up. He knows the things that, that we need to hear, and he's saying them in places that we don't even, aren't even aware of. To believe that the Holy Spirit is working, it means that our transformation is not ultimately up to us. How much more encouraged are we to go talk to a counselor when we know that the Holy Spirit is helping the counselor? The counselor's trying to figure it out. The Spirit is helping him and helping us. Uh, and by the way, the subconscious work of the Spirit is happening every time you come here. When you walk in here, you don't know what God's doing here. When you hear the Word of God, when you confess your sins, when you come to this table and you eat this bread and drink this wine, the Holy Spirit is present and working in ways that you aren't even aware of. And when we know that the Holy Spirit uh, works subconsciously, that it gives us another insight about how the Holy Spirit works, is that the Holy Spirit also works gradually. And you can see how the Apostle Paul puts it in verse 18 there in 2 Corinthians. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean, from one degree of glory to another? It means it's happening in stages. You're going to get to one point. You know, this year God's working on this thing, and you got to one degree of glory. And then next year it's going to be the next degree of glory. And so your change is gradual. It's not all going to happen at once. And so, you know, your change is like watching a tree grow and become fruitful. You sit and stare at the tree. You're not going to see it grow. But say, well, how was that tree a year ago? How was that tree five years ago? How was that tree ten years ago? And you say, wow, major change has happened. That's what's going to happen to you when you have turned to the Holy Spirit. And so what that means for us as a church is that people need time. When people come into this church, they're going to need time to change. It's not going to happen all at once. You need time. You need to give yourself time. And you need to stay among the people of Christ, the people of the Holy Spirit, for that work and that transformation to go from one stage of glory to the next. So how can you be healed? The first is you've got to turn to the Holy Spirit. Because he alone can work in that deep subconscious level, and he knows you better than you know yourself. 
And you need to know that that work is gradual and this church will give you time and you need to give yourself time. But second, this passage says we're healed when we turn to Jesus Christ. And when we say that our biggest problem is a hard heart, it means that we are distrustful of God. And I think when many people distrust God, I think they often are thinking of God as kind of this giant abstraction. And, you know, they think, I don't trust God. He's this, you know, way up there in the sky, all-powerful, emotionless, playing with our lives like we're just puppets, and he, you know, he's brought suffering into my life, and uh, who knows what he's going to do next. But if you change the question from, do you trust the big abstraction in the sky, to do you trust the person of Jesus, all of a sudden the question is different. You know, you, so for example, if a giant abstraction makes you go through a season of suffering, you're going to close your heart to a giant abstraction. But if Jesus, the baby born in a manger in a poor family, the homeless prophet, a friend to the blind and the lame and the outcast, the God who went to the cross for us says, take up your cross and follow me. Many millions of people have heard those words and said, I trust you. They beheld the face of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the hardness, it's in the face of Jesus, the hardness of hearts melts away. And you say, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you wherever it leads me. There's no one else I want to be with but you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in that final verse there, chapter 4, verse 6, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. You see, he's talking about what it means to be human. The shining of the light of the glory of God. That's what we were made for. And where does he talk about it? In our hearts, because that's where our greatest problem is. In the human heart. And if you want your humanity healed, turn to the Holy Spirit and turn to Jesus Christ. And this Advent and Christmas season, God will continue to restore our humanity as we together gaze into that beautiful face. The face of the only God who deserves our trust, Jesus Christ. He bids you to come to him. And so open your heart to him in faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of these words and the hope of these words. The transformation is possible. And the transformation is not a work that we must do on our own. Lord, you know our frame. You remember that we are but dust. But transformation is a work of your power. So Lord, uh, turn our gaze as a community toward the face of Jesus Christ and that the beauty of it would melt our hearts, would remove our hearts of stone, and that this would be the place of the soft-hearted. We long for that work in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.